So let's open in a word of prayer this morning as we get into it. Lord, uh, just thank you for your word, God. We just pray for your spirit this morning, Lord. We pray that uh, just this morning you would remind us that we're beloved children of you, Lord. That we're children of the light, Lord. That you want to walk with us. Um, And so we just thank you for that. We thank you for your overwhelming love for us this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So before we get into Ephesians 5 this morning, let's, let's get a little recap if you don't know what's been going on in Ephesians here during the second letter of the, or second half of the book to the people in Ephesus. And so in the second half of chapter 4, kind of where I was last week, or last time I was up here, Paul talked about the need to take off your old self, renew your mind, and then put on the new self. So the old self is, 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 is alienated from God. The old self is corrupt and callous. The old self is, is, is full of sensuality and greediness and, and pride and money and, and angry and full of corrupting talk and would just give every opportunity for the devil to come in and, and begin making my heart hard to the word and hard to the Holy Spirit and hard to the good things that God has for us. And so in chapter four, Paul tells us, take off that old self and the old way you used to do things. And so last week, if you remember Matt talking about, I love this idea because it was super good, about the idea of repentance. And so repentance is is turning 180 degrees. You're facing one way, and so you repent, and you turn the other way. And then you actively walk in that way. It's not just turning, you have to actively change the ways you're doing things. And that's exactly what Paul's telling us here in, in taking off your old self, is that you have to take it off, but then you have to do something. You have to then renew your mind and put on the new self. Because the old self creeps its way back onto you. If you don't put on that new self and and constantly be renewing your mind in the Holy Spirit, the old self tries to creep itself back on. So you take off that old self, you renew your mind, and you put on that new self. And why do you do that? Well, because you're a child of God. And children of God don't do those types of foolish things anymore. So come on now, you're with us, so let's do those things. And so this morning, as we get into Ephesians chapter 5, we see Paul lay out two different ways that we're called to walk with God. We're called to walk in love, and we're called to walk as children of light. And so in the Bible, uh, when you see walking, it can kind of mean two different things. It It can sometimes literally mean just moving one foot in front of the other, as in Jesus walked to Jerusalem, or Jesus walked here, or Paul walked here. But oftentimes when you're reading the word walk, it can often mean, it can, it can point towards a continued mode or conduct or change of behavior that the author's trying to lead you down. And so when you think of walking, when you go for a walk, what things need to happen when you go for a walk with someone? Maybe today after church, you call up a friend and you say, hey, let's go talk about that sermon today. Let's talk about the good thing, what I liked and what I didn't like. And you want to go for a walk. Maybe you want to discuss, you know, things, what's going on in your life. So what, what things do you need to go for a walk? This is just simple, basic stuff. Well, number one, you need to have a similar pace with someone, right? You need to walk at the same pace. If, if you're constantly walking four feet ahead of the person or, or four feet behind the person, well, that's not a good walk, is it? Another thing you need is some sort of relationship, you know, some sort of just something to start talking, when I was in high school, um, 
I'll always remember this, just the pinnacle of awkwardness with Blake. I think I'm over it now, but man, when I was in high school, we'd, I'd, I'd have to walk home every day after school. And there was about five of us in my neighborhood that would walk home. And, uh, you know, it's good when all five of you are together and you're walking home, right? Because conversation is whatever. But every once in a while, you'd get, you, throughout the day, you'd be like, hey, man, are you walking home? And they'd be like, oh, no, I'm busy. Or, hey, are you walking home? And like, oh, no, I got to do homework or whatever. And then it ends up just being you and that one other person that you don't really know that well. And then throughout the whole day, I'd be like, okay, I, I need to think of like four or five talking points here because we're going to walk home together. And this is like just awkward for me. I mean, it wasn't really awkward, but you know how it is. And so you'd like line up four or five talking points to be like, hopefully just keep the conversation going. Otherwise, awkward hormone 14-year-old Blake is like, uh, scared of walking home with a girl. It's freaky stuff, man. And so also when you're walking with someone, you know, you need to be walking together. You need to kind of have something, at least something to talk about. And then you also just need to have like a destination in mind, right? Like, like your friend calls you and say, hey, let's go down to Bonniebrook. Let's go for a walk. And then you say, okay. And then you meet together and then you just walk the opposite direction. And that doesn't make sense, right? That's not walking. It's not walking together when you both go the opposite way or, or you don't even talk to each other or one's in front of you or one's way behind you. And, and this is what Paul's setting us up for here in the next little bit through, through our, our talk today is that, is that God wants to walk with you. If you get nothing else, that's what you need to remember. God wants to walk with you. But if you're gonna walk with God, there needs to be some parameters set around this walk. You can't just call God up and say, hey, let's go for a walk and then just split and go the opposite way of him, right? Like, it doesn't make sense. As, as you walk with God, and, and the more you walk with him, you meet with him a few times more and more, you, you get to know him more. You, you get less awkward pauses. You know, you understand the route he likes to take. And, and as you walk with God, he further refines you more and more. Like, I like that idea that Matt talked about last week, that as a disciple, you get more and more refined, like a funnel into what God wants as a disciple. And so all through the second half of the book of Ephesians here is, is basically Paul setting out parameters for how Jesus likes to go for a walk. And so let's get into it here. Let's read some Bible. Chapter 5, Ephesians 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Now, this is important right here. We're going to stop right away. And we're going to sit here for a second. Because if we understand this, what I just read is like crucial to just your whole Christian walk. If you understand what's happening here, right this very second, right as you're sitting here, the rest of this text will come clear this morning. The rest of the Bible will become clear this morning. The rest of your Christian life will become clear. Because when you understand how beloved you are as a child of God, your soul will long for a relationship with Jesus. You will eagerly desire to read his word and follow him. And when you realize how much, like, just how much God loves you, it just causes your brain to have, like, like a mental breakdown, right? You're just like, I don't even know. It's kind of like, uh, do you guys ever have those, this is, again, getting into my mind here. <laughs> do you ever have those moments where you just, like, sit and think about how, like insignificant you are, like those moments of like awe 
some. For example, like a good one I sometimes will think of, I'll just like be standing around and it'll be like, do you realize that we're on an earth, this rock that we call earth, that's traveling 110,000 kilometers a second through space, which is, what? No, well, I Googled it, so Google doesn't lie. Well, I, anyways, <laughs> we're traveling, and we're traveling around the sun, right? We're going around the sun, this large mass of plasma that can fit how many? I Googled it again. 1.3 million planet Earths inside of the sun, can fit inside the sun. And all this is going on in the Milky Way, which is about 100,000 light years across, which is one of 47,000 clusters which is one of many clusters within our 92 billion year observable universe. Does that explode anyone else's brain or is that just me? Because when you sit and think, you're like, and here I am on a Sunday morning just hanging out sitting in my chair in a 10,000 degree, feels like the sun in here right now, doesn't it? Jeez. <laughs> and yet through all that, through this rock crazy amount of space flying through this observable universe that doesn't even make sense, Jesus loves you personally. He loves you personally so much that he willingly laid down his life for you, that he offered himself as a fragrant sacrifice to God to redeem you. He took your sin. You should have been up on that cross, but Jesus bore it all, and God accepted it as a holy and redeeming sacrifice. John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Psalm 63, 3 says, Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. Psalm 36, 5 says, Your steadfast love, O Lord, extends to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Ephesians 3, 18, 19 says, That you may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. The love of Christ surpasses knowledge. His love for you is everlasting. It extends to the heavens. His love for you is better than life and in return, I will praise him. And look how Paul talks this morning throughout the whole passage. He's just gonna keep reminding you over and over that you are a beloved child of God. You're already a child of God. There's no like, you know, if you do this, then you'll become a child of God. So you better begin to act like it. You're already saints, so start acting like a saint. You are the light of the world, so start acting like the light of the world. God's love is not based on a scale of, of if you do these things, then you'll be a child of God. It's, it's, no, no, you're a child of God, so start acting like one. God's love isn't based on what type of walking shoes you have on. He just simply wants you to walk with him, and that's it. And even more than that, Paul puts an expectation on us, right? Like, you know, it's, it's easy to rest in that, oh, I'm a child of God. But, but it's more than that. It's, it's, there's an expectation. Hey, you are a child of God, so now start acting like it. Start acting like beloved children are supposed to act. This isn't like messing around. Like, this is, you know, you are this, so start acting like it. And so verse 3 goes on, and it continues this idea of setting parameters for us. And Paul begins to talk about some serious stuff here now. You know, that's, that's awesome that, man, God loves us. You're a beloved child of God. 
And it's like, once, once you like, I mean, I can't even overstate this. Once you understand how much God loves you, it just, it just turns your heart to want to do things. You want to follow his word. You want to do what he calls you to do. And so in verse three, it goes on, and, and, it, and Paul begins to talk about actually some serious stuff. He takes it from things that you should do to things that you shouldn't do. And uh, yeah, I mean, I wish sometimes as I was reading it, it was like, man, I wish I could just gloss over this stuff. It would just be easier for me to just quickly read it and move on. Um, but it's, ser- it's a serious and, and important part of this text that I think I'd be doing a disservice to God's word if I just quickly moved on from it. So we're going to dive in a little bit here in verse 3 and spend a little bit of time uh, in verse 3. So let's read verse 3 to 7. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. So you see there in verse 3, it says, as is proper among saints. Remember, you are a saint. It doesn't say if you want to be a saint, then do these things. It's, no, no, you are a saint. So don't do these things. And what are the things he says not to do? Well, he says sexual immorality, impurity or covetousness, let there be no filthiness, let there be no foolish talk, let there be no crude joking. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness. The Bible says if you're living in any of those three things, then you have no place in the kingdom of God. And Paul says these things to you, not to condemn you, but to, to help you fix it. You see, in, in our world, our, our concept of love is like major off-key, right? Like people say, hey, let's make love, and that means let's have sex. And it's like, that's the exact opposite of what love is when it's outside of God's prescribed joining of a man and a woman. And for some of you, these words here cut right to your heart, you know? Like, let's get serious. For some of you, maybe you regularly look at porn Maybe you regularly have sex outside of marriage. Maybe there's some other sexual immorality in your life that, that I don't know about. And, and, but you know what it is. And you feel guilty as I say these things. And to that, the Bible says, sorry, you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Or maybe you're one of those people who always turns the subject to rude and crude joking. Do you know anybody like that? I used to have a friend back in the day who, well, I don't know if he was a friend, but... I thought he was a friend back in the day, but he would just, he just had the slickest tongue, right? He was able to just twist your words into just the, you'd say something seemingly harmless and he'd just be able to twist it into this like nasty, disgusting, just joke or, or dirty, raunchy thing that it's like, ooh, how did you do that? Like, man, if you could use your skill to be a preacher, you'd be the world's best because just his skill and his tongue was to be able to change what you were trying to say was just so good. And Paul says, don't you even become partners with people like that, let alone be the one who talks like that. And so maybe after all this, you know, you're you're sitting there and it's seemingly hopeless for you. You go, well, you know, I'm under one of those categories. 
I have no inheritance in God, and that scares the snot right out of you. And it should. It should. Because it's not messing around, these verses. These verses are, like, serious. It scares the snot out of me. And I'm not, I'm not here to, like, point anyone out, because I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, you know, in, in the darkness of your life. But if any of this sounds familiar to you, then you need to check yourself. Fear in your life can be a good thing. Fear causes you to have, I see, is one of three outcomes. You know, what's causing you to fear can, can defeat you and you succumb to the issue. Or, or what's causing you to fear, you know, you, you turn and run and, and you're always in trying to hide from what fears you. Or the, the last thing that can happen is you take that fear head on and you defeat it. And I have some good news for you because you have a Redeemer. The fears of life, the fears of this scripture, no inheritance in the kingdom of God, the fear of that should turn you to Jesus. When you have fear, turn to Jesus. You don't have to take this head on by yourself, the sexual immorality you have in your life. The mere fact that you feel guilt over what the Bible says is actually a good thing. The fact that you can identify that issue is a good thing. Your heart hasn't become callous to the world. You haven't given yourself fully over to the sensuality of the world. The mere fact that you're here this morning is a good thing. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with the empty words. Don't let anyone tell you that these things Paul is saying is okay. Like, just don't let it happen. Don't, don't think in your heart, oh, well, this is okay. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And you know one of the best ways that the devil works? Let me tell you, if you've ever experienced this, I think we all have. Maybe you're driving down the road, maybe you're on your computer, maybe you're talking with someone, whatever, and, and you go, in your head, you go, no, I, I really probably shouldn't be doing this, or I shouldn't go to this website, or I shouldn't be doing this or that. And the devil just gets in your ear and he says, it's okay, man, God has grace. He loves you, it's okay. Go ahead do it. It's okay. God will forgive you. Just, just ask for forgiveness. And then you go to that website and bam, the devil comes right in the ear and says, you idiot. God's not going to, God doesn't love you. Look at what you did. You can't go back to God now. There's no way Jesus would want to walk with a dirty sinner like you. He doesn't want you. And the devil just makes you feel like garbage, right? Well, I'm glad to be here to tell you today that you can look at the devil and say, not today. Because because you can repent. Do you find yourself in one of those situations that we just talked about? Maybe you're worried that you have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Well, all you have to do is repent. Just take off that old self, renew your mind, and put on the new self. Ask the Lord for forgiveness, and he'll, before you're even done asking, he'll open his arms to you, and he'll shower you with grace and mercy beyond what you can even imagine. Jesus' love for you is beyond what you can even imagine. As soon as you say, Lord, I'm sorry, it's done. It's over. Let's go to verse 8. Verse 8, For at one time you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. And so there it is again. I'm going to point it again. Once again, you were darkness, but now you are light. It's not a you were in darkness, it's not about you are in light. You were darkness, now you are light. Paul just talked about sexual immorality, about impurity, about covetousness. That is darkness. Look, you came from that. That is what you were. 
Now you are light in the Lord, so walk as children of light, which is our second walk we're called to do. The first walk was to walk as beloved children. The second walk is to walk as children of light. And so the concept of light and, and darkness is an interesting concept when you think about it because light and darkness are mutually exclusive things. They, they cannot coincide with each other. Darkness is simply the absence of light. Darkness isn't a physical object. It's, it's the result of no light being there. And so when you bring a candle into a dark room, what happens? Well, the room gets lit up because darkness cannot be where light is. John 8, 12 says, Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus is the light. As you follow him, as you walk with him, walk as children of light. As you walk with the Lord more and more, you begin to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And you begin to grow and, and sprout fruit. Verse 9, of goodness, righteousness, truthfulness. And the effects of walking in light is those attributes. Did you know, again, I googled it for all you doubters out there, uh, that not one fruit tree in the world bears fruit without light. Like, for trees to bear fruit, they need light. And so the, the trees, they take the light, they bask in it, they extend their leaves as far as they can to soak in as much light as they can, and then they use that light, they mix it with water, and they do, that's the extent of my plumber knowledge goes, they do photosynthesis, and then all sorts of changes happen, they get energy, they get growth, and they, from that energy and the, and the light, they produce fruit. They get bigger, they're stronger, and they produce fruit. And so how do we know if someone is walking in the light? Well, they produce fruit. That shows itself in goodness, in righteousness, and in truth. And it's important to look for these attributes in people. Why? Because verse 11 and 12 says, Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. Paul tells us to take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. And not only don't take part, but expose them. You see, on this walk with the Lord, walking's active. This is an active walk with the Lord. You, it's not just passive where you get to say, cool, I'm light. Now let's go home to bed and put those covers over me. Matthew 5, 14 to 16 says, You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You see, as beloved children, you are light in the Lord. So shine your light before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. We're called to go and make disciples of all nations. We're called to expose the darkness. But be careful not to partake in the unfruitful works. You cannot win them by becoming what they are. The fruit that you produce is good. It's right, it's true, it leads to Jesus. The fruit that darkness produces, it leads, no, well, it doesn't lead nowhere. It leads to one place, and that place is in heaven, my friends. So be careful when you go to those dark places, because the things that happen in darkness are so sick and twisted that we shouldn't even speak of them. A couple weeks ago, I went to uh I went to a bachelor party in Las Vegas. 
Yeah. Yeah. I know I'm admitting it. And let me tell you, you want to talk about darkness, there's some dark stuff going on there. I couldn't, we couldn't walk 50 meters down the street without someone saying, hey, you boys want to go to strip club? You boys looking to have a good time? You know, when you talk to people there, when you're in cabs and stuff, they all tell you the same thing. They say, oh, people come here to have a good time. People come here to, to do things they wouldn't normally do at home. They come here to fulfill fantasies. And it's just like, it's just sick and twisted, man. It's like, it's like you want to talk about darkness? It's that, that's like, have you guys ever heard of this, this color? It's called Black 3.0. Or there's another one called Vanta Black. Google it. It's kind of cool. It's, it's apparently the darkest color made by humans. And it soaks up 99% of visible light. Go look up Black 3.0 in about half an hour. And that can be Vegas. Well, there's some good stuff there. When I came back, Matt told me, um, you know, there's some good churches there. And I said, I believe it because you better shine bright as you can. You better be like the, when I was younger, my dad had this flashlight. And it was a million candle power flashlight. And it only worked when you plugged it in. It was the most useless flashlight in the world. Because it came with a, like a three-foot extension cord. And it was a, you'd like shine that thing and you could like, you'd think it was like daytime when it was shooting across the, and the bulb in it, I mean the bulb in it lasted, I think it only lasted for like a month and then it stopped working because it's a million candle power. is like insane. And it would like light up the hole. You'd think you're burning a hole through your wall when you turn that thing on. And that's what I can imagine the churches are there like to, to fight back against some of the stuff going on there. And so when I went there, did I partake in all the strip clubs and partake in having a good time? No, I didn't. I'll tell you that right now. I didn't partake. I didn't hang out in those shady areas because Paul says, don't, you know, go there and shine your light, but don't use that as an excuse to partake in in all the darkness that goes on. Because sometimes you go to places, right, and you, you feel like a match. You light a match. Imagine you're, you know, you, you're in like an arena of just darkness and you light a match and, and you're light in that darkness, but it, it can sometimes feel hopeless. It can feel tough. It can feel like pointless. You're like, why am I even trying to shine a light here? And I want to encourage you this morning that if you imagine yourself going into GM place, you turn off all the lights. It's so dark in there, you can't see the hand in front of you. You're on the upper deck. You only managed to buy garbage seats. You're on the upper deck, and then down on center ice, you see a match come on. Can you see that match? You bet you can. Did you know that for some people, some people in the world, the only way that they're going to experience the word of God, the only way they're going to experience the love of God, the only way they're going to realize how much Jesus loves them is by experiencing it through the light of the Lord, of his people, through you. When you go in, when you leave this place, some of the only way that people are going to experience Jesus is through you. Their only association with Jesus is you. And though you may feel like you're in GM place with that small match lit, the darkness will try to snuff out everything it can. 
But trust me, when anything is exposed by the light, it will become visible. So I want to encourage you this morning, shine as bright as you can. Because when you leave here, you're going into darkness. You want to talk darkness and walk 10 feet outside these doors. And as you shine the light of the love of Jesus on people, there's going to be a byproduct of light that happens. So imagine with me again, let me take you back, take you back 12, 13, 14 years, teenage Blake. I was a lot more awkward in, t- in high school, just so you guys know. This didn't really happen to me because I'm a pretty clean person, but you guys can all imagine, you've all, a lot of you had teenagers, a lot of you know what dirty teenagers are like. And so let's pretend, you can imagine it's Blake. I'm in bed Saturday morning, I'm sleeping in, it's like 11 o'clock, and in walks mom, rips open the blinds, and what comes in? That sunlight, man. Sunlight comes pouring into that room, and, you, and all you hear is, let's go, it's go time, let's clean up these clothes on the floor, let's get these cables strewn all over the place, it's time to clean your room, and as a teenager, that's just the worst, isn't it? Because all you want to do is sleep, and you don't want your dirty laundry exposed. Because that's the worst. When light comes in, it exposes the dirty laundry. Bringing light to the darkness exposes things that people don't like to be seen. When you're in darkness, you kind of look around and you can't really see everything perfect. And you go, I mean, this is okay. This is good. This is fine. You know, your heart becomes to be, begins to become callous. You can't see what's right in front of you. You can't see in those dark corners. You go, well, you look around and you go, yeah, I'm good. I'm comfortable. This is fine. We have a friend, um, Jessica and I have a friend who, uh, she has, in, in her house she has like, you know, magic crystals, and you know, she'll gladly talk to Buddhists, and she, she even one time she had on, a, on one of the Mormons' uh, pilgrimages they do, they came to her house, and, and she chatted with them for a long time, and it, it was only until they started, she went to church with them. She was at church for like four hours. And it was only until they started like scheduling her baptism that she was like, oh, maybe this isn't really for me. But when, when we invite her to one morning here at CTK, whether it's Christmas Eve service when you think you can get everyone out, whether it's a day when I'm speaking, a day when we're playing music, when we invite her here, she's like, what are you, are you insane? You know I don't, she like gets upset. She balks, she goes, how dare you invite me to church? Makes me sick. You know, she's, you know, she, I'm not into those religious types of things. And it's like, but you almost got baptized by the Mormons. What do you, you know, John 3.20 says, for everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be exposed. People who do wicked things, they hate light. They hate to have their darkness exposed. The light shows us things that we don't want to be shown. And as Christians, though, we need that, right? Like, like I want to encourage you to shine the light. We need to be constantly renewed in the Spirit. We need to keep relighting that match so that we ourselves can, can get rid of the darkness and then shine that light of the Lord. And so Paul ends it with verse 14 and this exhortation to you, dear Christian. And he says, for anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. And so that's just where I want to leave it with you this morning. As you, uh, you know, are you comfortable in the darkness? 
Has it been a while since you've, maybe it's 11 a.m. right now in your life, and it's like, okay, time to wake up. It's been a while since those blinds got pulled back and, and let the light of the Lord shine in on you. You know, Paul says, wake up. What are you doing sitting in those grave clothes? Jesus isn't in the grave anymore. Why are you? Why are you sitting in those grave clothes? Jesus is calling you. He wants to walk with you, so let's get walking. Walk in love, walk in light, because you are beloved children of God. You are children of light. Start walking with Christ, and Christ will shine on you. It's not a case of you have to do anything. You are this, so let's get walking. And so as the band comes up, and we are about to sing one more song, I want to leave you with... um, leave you with these application questions today for you to think about whether it's when we're singing, maybe it's after church today, and those three questions will come up on the screen behind us. And so the first question is, is simple. What motivates your behavior? What motivates your behavior? In everything you do, in your Christian walk, in, in your day-to-day, in your work, what motivates your behavior? The second thing is what are three ways this week, I want three ways that you can think about, that you can shine a light in the darkness this week. And then the third one is, where are you at your walk, in your walk with God? And that could be, for examples, like is he four feet in front of you? Is he four feet behind you? Are you maybe walking in opposite directions? Are you walking side by side? Maybe you're not even walking with him. Maybe you're waiting to pick up that phone and give him a call. So just think about those questions. Those are three for you to think about this week. Application questions. Maybe share number three with a friend. Just look to your neighbor and say, hey, this is where I'm at in my walk with God. Let's pray.